And when you look back over our lives, we see that so much of our lives, church, are just garbage. And when we understand the fact that there's nothing in ourselves that can make ourselves right before God, and that is a simple message for some, but is a message that needs to be resonated for all time and eternity. That you can do nothing in and of yourself to make yourself right with God. There is nothing you can do to make yourself or cause yourself to have a right standing before a holy God. But listen, church, there is a whopper of a message. And the message is this, Jesus Christ can make you new. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 3. This is the word of God. Paul says, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, now, God, as we turn our attention to it, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to take in all that you have for us this morning. We praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. One of the goals that I have always had for my ministry and one of the goals I've always had for Emmanuel Baptist Church is to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And you, for those of you who have been with us for any length of time, you know that that's our goal. And as we look at verses in the Bible, as we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, word by word, letter by letter if need be, as we've looked at the entire scope of Scripture, there is one message, whether you are in the Pentateuch, whether you are in the historical books, whether you're in the poetry books, minor prophets, major prophets, the Gospels, the epistles, general epistles, whatever books that you're in, no matter what, where you're studying, there is one message in the scripture and one message only that resonates throughout all of scripture and that is this this is the message you are not your redeemer you are not your redeemer but i will send one that's the message god promises his people who place their faith in me he says i will covenant with you with an irrevocable love that I will secure your soul for eternity, and by that promise, I will give you the joy with which will be the strength of your life. Burger King, now that's an interesting twist, has been well known for making some waves in their advertising about making hamburgers. And they did it again a few years ago when they came out with an ad that many people called gross. And you will probably remember, in fact, you can go on YouTube and still see it to this day. 
It was called the moldy whopper. The moldy whopper. And what the ad displays as Aretha Franklin was singing, uh, what a day, what a difference a day makes in the background. What the, what the ad message it was given across was that it gave a time lapse photography of a Burger King burger, burger that was left unrefrigerated for 34 days. And as you observe this time-lapse photography, you began to see the wilt and you began to see the mold that would, that would start to formulate on top of this Burger King burger. And the message was clear. In fact, at the end of the commercial, it has it in quotes what the purpose of the message is. And the purpose of the message is, quote, the beauty of no artificial preservatives. Unlike a McDonald's hamburger, which could, could say, uh, which could sustain a nuclear holocaust because of all the preservatives that are in their burgers. And that's a pretty strange message. Pretty strange message. That things get moldy quicker, even us, without some preservatives. And it's even pretty clear from Scripture, if you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, where God says that from dust you came, and from dust you will what? Dust you will return. And church, listen, every culture, every religion has to deal with the fact that people get moldy and deteriorate. And so much of the gospel is taken from the viewpoint of the, of the morality of mankind. In fact, James says it this way in James chapter 4 and verse 14 where he says that our life is a, is a vapor that it appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. And the gospel is that your life can be preserved by one whose life did not get moldy in three days, 34 days, or 2,000 years. Because listen, here's the message. What a difference a Savior makes. And when you look back over our lives, we see that so much of our lives, church, are just garbage. Garbage because of the things we have done. Garbage because of uh, the faults we have had. Garbage because of the reputations that sometimes we have. And when we understand the fact that there is nothing in ourselves that can make ourselves right before God, we must understand that. And that is a simple message for some, but is a message that needs to be resignated for all time and eternity. That you can do nothing in and of yourself to make yourself right with God. There is nothing you can do to make yourself or cause yourself to have a right standing before a holy God. But listen, church, there is a whopper of a message. And the message is this, Jesus Christ can make you new. Jesus Christ can make you new. Not just preserve you, but renews you over and over again with the goodness of the gospel. Because it is the gospel that gives new life. It is the gospel that gives new meaning. It is the gospel that gives new purpose. It is the gospel that gives new direction. And because of Christ, I have a new being. Because of Christ, I have a new record. I want you to notice a verse this morning that, that as we see it, it will, it really stands 
in a beautiful contrast in Scripture as it relates to Jesus Christ in the, in the Gospels. It's in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 where the Apostle Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, and the word if then there in the Greek language, just like English, doesn't necessitate a question. He is literally saying, since you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, get this last point, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And what is Paul saying under the inspiration of Scripture is that as believers, we have been raised with Christ. And as he, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, where he says, Now with the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, that we have such a high priest who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We have been raised up to be united with the one that is sitting down. And church, listen, this is a beautiful expression of the completeness of Christ in the gospel. And what does it mean that Christ took all of the weight? Christ took all of the mold. Christ took all of the corruption on himself. He bore the total wrath of God in his body because of our transgressions against the Father. And he has been raised up and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the right hand of privilege, the, the side of authority. I love Hebrews chapter 10. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Don't you like that? One sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God. Now what we understand is that the ministry of Jesus Christ was being explained by, in the Old Testament by the tabernacle system. We are told in the Old Testament really what was involved in the tabernacle. We are told about the Holy of Holies. We are told there about the Ark of the Covenant that contained the stone tablets or the commandments of God with the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the blood flowed for the atonement covering the guilt of the people. We are told that outside of the Holy of Holies was a seven-branch candlestick signifying the work of the people praying to God being carried by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not their work, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are told about the labor, the water that purified, that was used for the washing away of the impurities of that which was to be sacrificed. And so many details that we are given about the tabernacle that explains the gospel. We even learn about the tassels that were on the bottom of the high priest's robe that signified the gospel being spread throughout all the nations. We get so much information about the about the decorations and about the furniture of the tabernacle. But listen, if you look at the tabernacle, there is one piece of furniture that is never mentioned in the tabernacle. And what piece is that? That is a chair. 
There is never a chair mentioned in the tabernacle. Because day after day, the priest stood doing his job of sacrificing. Why did the priest have to stand? Because there was so much to do. There was so much to do. Let me just kind of run that through you real quick. At the Passover, hundreds of thousands of people, for example, would go up the southern steps of the temple making sacrifices to God. Thousands and thousands of people every hour. There was so much to do. And that was just one celebration that occurred every year. And listen, there are not only annual sacrifices, but every season as your fruit and as your uh, harvest began to come out of the earth, every season you would give a first fruits sacrifice to God. And at the end of the season, you would be taking a harvest sacrifice and you would offer that before God. And they were not just seasonal offerings, church. They were monthly sacrifices. Not just monthly sacrifices, but they were sacrifices every week. On the Sabbath day, for example, they were sacrifices. And not just every week, but every day there were sacrifices. And not just every day, there was a morning sacrifice. And then there was an evening sacrifice. And not only did you have to bring the sacrifice for the people in general, but you also had to bring the sacrifice for your own sins. And if you did not remember or you did not know those sins, you had to bring a separate sacrifice for those unknown sins. Known sins, unknown sins, every morning, every evening, every day, every week, every month, every year. For 1,500 years, the blood filled the ditches and the smoke ascended to heaven and the priest could never sit down for the work until one day, one lamb went up a hill called Calvary and he offered himself upon a cross. He took upon himself the wrath of, that I deserved to, to pay to God. He went upon Calvary and did not make a potential atonement for potentially no one. He made an actual atonement. And when he died in the Holy of Holies, the veil of the temple went from top to bottom. And God says, you now have access to me. And the fires on the altar stopped. All the sacrifices stopped. And the high priest sat down. The high priest sat down because the work was done. And Christ says, if you belong to me, I am at the right hand of the Father sitting down. And you who are in me by faith alone have been raised with me. And as I am sitting at the right hand of the Father, so are you sitting at the right hand of the Father. Folks, listen, meaning all the wrestling is done. All the fighting is done. And our great high priest sits down because he has taken care of all of it for all time. Again, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I like that verse. I love Hebrews 10. By one sacrifice or one offering... He hath perfected. He gave a perfect sacrifice and He perfected forever them who are sanctified. I do not have to keep, I do not have to worry about keeping my hold on Christ. Christ keeps His hold on me because the offering was a perfect offering. And because the work was done, He said, it is finished. 
One of the things that I've used to hear all my life growing up as a young boy that preaches real well, but there's just one problem. It's unbiblical. And that is that Jesus Christ is constantly having, you've probably heard this, that Jesus Christ is constantly having to pour blood on the mercy seat. That when he went to heaven, he took a, a vial of blood with him. And that every time you and I sin, God, Jesus Christ, has to go back over to the mercy seat and pour more blood on the mercy seat to atone for our sins. No, church, the atonement was made at Calvary. And when the great high priest sat down, he doesn't have to get back up and re-atone for your sins because they were atoned for at Calvary. And he sat down. The high priest of the Old Testament system could not sit down because he was constantly having to make sacrifice. But Jesus Christ sat down. And because Jesus Christ is sitting down, we not only can rest, but we can be at peace that the work is done. And since we have been raised with Christ, I am at the Father's right hand, meaning that I can not only rest in Christ, but I know that the Father loves me as much as He loves Christ. And that's just absolutely amazing to me, Brother Nathan, because I know me. And I'm anything but lovable. And because I've been raised with Christ, according to Paul in Colossians 3.1, because I've been raised with Christ and He's at the right hand of the Father, I am at the right hand of the Father. I have a place of authority. I have a place of privilege because of Christ. And the Father loves me and every person that belongs to Him. He loves you as much as He loves Christ. And that is mine. That is mine. Because I have been raised with Christ Jesus. And as he is at the Father's right hand, so am I. All I need, all I have to have is Christ. That's all I need. And as a believer, because of Christ, the foreskin of my heart has been circumcised That's why Paul said at the beginning of verse 3 that we are the circumcision or literally we are the true circumcision because the circumcision, the Old Testament physical circumcision was only a symbol of the true circumcision that must take place in the heart. Where Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit, he sends his spirit to to regenerate us and take away the foreskin, the, the hardness of our hearts. And according to Ezekiel 36, he gives us a new heart, doesn't he? He takes away the heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh, meaning this. He takes away the hard heart and he gives me a heart that's pliable. He gives us a heart that's soft. He gives us a heart that wants to know God. Because the heart that you and I are born with from our mother's womb is a heart that is hardened toward the things of God. It's a heart that hates God. It's a heart that's indifferent to the things of God but God through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit comes inside me strips away the hardness of my heart takes away that hard stony heart gives me a heart of flesh and gives me the desire to obey God and listen Paul says if you're just depending upon your the physical circumcision that you had to go through as a Jew Listen, even in Deuteronomy, that was clearly said that it was only a symbol for the heart. Because listen, church, the heart must be changed. 
No one is saved. No one is truly born again unless the heart is changed. Because I am fallen, I am alienated from God. I am dead in my sins with no desire and no ability to be made right with God on my own. But my high priest is sitting down because the work is done. The work is done. And I am raised with him. And I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father with him. I have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The work is done. And we who are saved are the true circumcision because God has ripped off the hardness of our hearts. And because he has ripped off the hardness of our hearts, we worship God in the Spirit. Notice what Paul says there at the middle part of the second part of verse 3. We are those who are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. And we said to you last time that that is the Holy Spirit. That's not our spirit. We worship God by the way of the Holy Spirit. And remember what Jesus Christ said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He says, what's God looking for? God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in what? Truth. Listen, church, true worship, the worship of a Christian, is when that Christian obeys the truth. You cannot ever say that we are worshiping God truly if we don't obey the word of God. Because true worship not only comes as we are united to the Father in Christ alone, but true worship comes as I am obedient to the truth of God's word. That is the only source. That is the only proof of true worship, of true saving faith. I am becoming increasingly mournful at people's definition of salvation. I'm becoming increasingly troubled by people who should know better. And I sat in my study one time and I knocked a hammer back on my thinking chair and I went into my thinking mode. The rest of the time I'm not thinking. I'm just kind of cranking. Or depending on who you ask, cranky or cranking or cranky, whatever the case may be. I've been told here lately that I'm kind of cranky. I don't know where my wife gets that from, but anyway. But I knocked the hammer back on my thinking chair. And I began to think, Lord, you seem to be, you seem to be, you seem to be taking us in the same direction so much of the time. And that's one good thing about expository preaching, isn't it, Blue? Nobody can, nobody can accuse you of being on a soapbox because you can just say, well, that's just what the next verses are. Take it up with the Lord. And I, and I went back in my, in my thinking mode and I said, Lord, you keep taking, think, you keep taking us in the same direction. You, you keep taking the direction of what true salvation is. Why is that? And almost weekly, folks, I, I encounter people that God tells me that's why. That's why. I was asked this week, I'm not going to mention any names, obviously, to protect the guilty. 
But I was asked this week if, I, if, so, if somebody was saved. And of course, I never make that assessment based on somebody's heart because why? I don't know it. I don't know their heart and they don't know mine and I don't want them to know mine and I don't want to know theirs because they may not like me. But so when I make that assessment, it's not based upon their heart. It's based upon fruit. And I was asked if this person was born again. And before I could even give an answer completely, I was cut off that somebody who should know better said, yes, they're saved. I know they have no fruit. I know they don't live like it. But I, they prayed a prayer. I was incredulous. You have got to be kidding me. And God told me, stupid, that's why we keep going back there. Because there's so many Christians who just don't get it. And I thought to myself that I, I prayed. I prayed later that night and wept in the privacy of my own quarters. I don't cry in public. That's, that's, that's not civilized. And I don't cry on the inside or the insides on mildew. But I, 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 I cried and prayed later that night and said, Lord, from a human perspective, okay, we understand the divine sovereignty, but from a human perspective, okay, how many people have died and gone to hell because some Christian placed on them a conversion that wasn't genuine that wasn't real because they prayed a prayer. No fruit, no desire for righteousness, no desire for godliness, no desire for the things of God, but hallelujah, they prayed a prayer. So they must be okay. It's reminiscent of the people in Matthew 7, isn't it? Lord, Lord, what, what's up? What's up? I, I did all this. I did this. I did that. I did the other. I, I, what do you mean? Depart from me. I never knew you. You are a worker of iniquity. How many Christians assign a false salvation to somebody because they prayed a prayer? Paul says in verse 3 that true Christians have not only had their hearts circumcised, but true Christians worship God in the Spirit. And Jesus said in John 4 that they worship God in the Spirit and in truth. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father... That's the person that enters the kingdom of heaven.
I'm constantly burdened that God's people need to be honest and need to pray honest prayers. And yes, maybe that means that you change the way that you're praying for your son, that you pray for your husband, that you pray for your wife, that you pray for your friends. Maybe that changes the way that you pray. But we need to be honest with ourselves before God and say, listen, if there is no fruit, it is because there is no root. And Paul says, these these are the Christians. And I told you last week that if I could sum up Christianity in one verse, it would be Philippians 3.3. That we have had our hard heart taken away and we worship God through the Spirit. Now notice what else he says. And rejoice in Christ Jesus. The word rejoice there is not Cairo, it's found in verse 1, but it is a Greek word, kalkaomai, which literally means to boast, means to glory, means to pride oneself, or it means to brag. And this word is a, the, one of the favorite Greek words of the Apostle Paul because of the 37 times it's used in the New Testament, 35 of those times it's used by the Apostle Paul. Now, this word can, of course, have a negative sense, but it can also be used to describe the believer's joyful exalting in Christ. For example, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and what? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in what? In God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, same Greek word, let him glory in what church? The Lord. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. But God forbid that I should what? Glory, save or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I into the world. Folks, listen, true believers are marked as people. They give all the credit to God. They give all the credit for God for all they have, all they'll ever have, all they do, and all they will ever do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, but by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And it is by his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than you all. Yet not I, but what church? The grace of God which was with me. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ. In Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember, or we literally in the Hebrew, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 34, 2, my soul shall make her boast in Yahweh, in the Lord, the self-existent one. But by contrast to that, folks, unbelievers boast in the flesh, don't they? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, seeing that they, seeing that many glory after the flesh. But the true believer understands that any success that they have is because of the Lord. 
And the only boast of the Christian is not in what they have done for themselves, but the only boast of Christians is what Christ has done for them. We boast again not because we hold on to Jesus, but we boast because He holds on to us. Folks, listen. If I could lose my salvation, guess what? I would. Because I make it so easy for God sometimes. Just to, man, I am done with you, fellow. What a loser. But God doesn't see me through me. He sees me through Christ. And you can go to God all you want with the guilt feelings of your past. And you can confess those sins all you want. And you know what the Father says? What sins? What sins? I don't remember that. Because your name is in the book of life, they've all been wiped out. They're under the blood. They were thrown on Jesus at Calvary. They were taken care of there. And because you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, I look at you through the person of Christ and for the believer, our boast is in Jesus, not in ourselves. True believers boast in Christ because Christ has become their obsession. You want to know why some people talk about Jesus all the time? It's not because they're a fanatic that the world wants to tag us. not because they're weird. Okay, yes, yeah, some of us are weird. But it's not entirely because they're weird. I mean, Peter calls us a peculiar people, right? I mean, that's a biblical title. But you know why people talk about Jesus all the time? It's because Jesus has become their boast. Jesus has become the one they brag about. I don't have anything, but I can brag about my Christ. He becomes the one we brag about. He becomes our obsession. He becomes our singular focus. Charles Wesley wrote in 1740, Thou of Christ art all I want, more than all, in you I find. Christ is the center church of all heaven and the obsession of every son or daughter who worship Him by the Spirit of God. How about you this morning, folks? Is Jesus your obsession? Or is he your lottery ticket? Out of hell. Is he the one that you boast? Is he the one in whom you brag? Or is he just your fire insurance? Do you make your boast in the flesh? 
Or do you make it in Christ? True believers make their boast not in what they've accomplished, but in what Christ has accomplished for them. Every Sunday, every service we try to remember, you come into this worship center and you see behind me an illuminated cross. I'll never forget the day, and he's not here so I can embarrass him. Hopefully he's watching. But I'll never forget the day that Brother Brian walked in here, and this was early when I became senior pastor. He walked in here one Lord's Day, and he says, he says, you know, Michael, oh, he called you Michael. Folks, I got over that a long time ago, okay? I got over that a long time ago. Somebody asked me one time, well, what should we call you? I said, well, my name is Michael. I got over myself a long time ago about that. But anyway, he said, Michael, he said, you got a problem. I said, well, what is it, bro? He said, the screen behind you is covering the cross. And we use that screen for the purposes of which we use the TVs. He says, the screen is covering the cross. He says, he says man, that's why we're here, right? I just thought to myself, well, shut my mouth, shame on me. So I said, you're right, brother. And Brian and I got our heads together. We did one better. We not only got the screen up, but we got it illuminated. And every time you walk in this worship center, you see an illuminated cross. But folks, I'll tell you this, that if you look at that illuminated cross and all you see is the love of God, you've missed the point of that illuminated cross. Because the cross doesn't display the love of God. The cross displays God's hatred for sin. And it also displays this. The lengths that God will go to save His people. And for that, we boast in Him. We boast in Him. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. In that we boast. But the last part of verse 3. We have no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence in the flesh. Because the flesh represents fallen humanity. The flesh represents our unredeemed humanness. It pictures man's inability or human ability apart from God. There are many that boast in the flesh. But true believers put no confidence in the flesh. In John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 
And the Apostle Paul says in that great dissertation in Romans 7 about his struggle with sinful passions, his struggle with sinful patterns, even though he was a Christian, he still struggled with the sin nature in his life. And he says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And because it is fallen, the flesh can do nothing to please God. It serves only the law of sin. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 25, Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the, with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul says, listen, in my mind, in my heart, I have such a desire to serve the law of God, but it's the flesh that's weak. It's the flesh that holds me back sometimes from doing what I truly want to do. I want to serve the law of God. And in my mind and in my heart, that is the desire. But my problem is the flesh. Because in that flesh is nothing good. It is only those who turn from sinful self-effort and embrace the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, that are truly saved. True repentance, church, involves sorrow over the evil of sinful deeds. False repentance is only sorrowful over the harmful consequences. False repentance concerns itself with conduct. True repentance concerns itself with man's inner condition. Folks, yes, I do. Yeah, I mourn for the, for the, the sins that I've committed. I mourn for the consequences of those sins. But listen, more so than that, church, let me tell you something. I want to honor God with my life. I want to honor God with my faults. I want to honor God with my desires. I want to honor God with my words. I want to honor God with my practices. And even though I may mourn over the consequences of stupid decisions I have made in my heart, in my mind, I long to desire, I long and desire to serve the law of God. And I am concerned that the inward man be renewed every day. Because there's absolutely nothing in me of any redeemable factor. I have no redemptive quality in me. And true believers understand that. They have no confidence in the flesh. False repentance only deals with the symptoms, but true repentance deals with the disease. Only true repentance, church, puts no confidence in the flesh. And when a person is constantly boasting in Christ, He'll have no confidence in his own flesh. But rather than putting confidence in, but rather than putting confidence in Jesus Christ, the Judaizers of whom Paul was combating came along and they put their confidence in cutting of the flesh and circumcision. But the genuine believer puts his confidence in Jesus and Jesus alone.
Because the Spirit of God, church, and the sinful flesh of man can never work together at the same time. The flesh and the Spirit are always at work in opposition to each other, and they're constantly pulling in opposite directions. The flesh always trusts in performance. The Spirit trusts in Christ's performance. And what was Christ's performance? He sat down because the work is done. He didn't say at the cross, it is finished. Because he was going throughout all of redemptive history, have to keep standing back up, applying more blood to the mercy seat. He said, it is finished because it was finished. And he sat down. And he ripped the veil from top to bottom, saying, you come on to me. You come on to me. The true believer knows that the flesh is sinful and can and do nothing to please God. And therefore, we put no confidence in that flesh. Christians place their confidence only in the mercy of God and the love of Jesus Christ. How about you? Do you have your total confidence in Christ this morning? The real circumcision, the true circumcision, is not a mark of the flesh. It's a mark of the heart. It is true worship. The real circumcision does not boast in his own accomplishments. It boasts in nothing but grace. It boasts in nothing but what's been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. It doesn't put confidence in their flesh. It doesn't put confidence in tradition. It doesn't put confidence in ritual. It puts confidence in Christ and Christ alone. And the real circumcision, the real believers, they don't find their confidence in what the unredeemed flesh can accomplish on its own. It finds confidence in Christ alone. What about you this morning? Where do you stand? Are you the true circumcision? Or are you only the circumcision of the flesh? Yeah, I'm a pastor's daughter. I had one lady tell me one time, I was talking to her about the Lord, she looked at me, she says, huh, young fella, she says, I know more than most preachers. Well, she might have. But that's only a circumcision of the flesh. That's not a circumcision of the spirit and the heart. There's a big difference, isn't it? Where do you stand this morning? Paul says, we are the true circumcision. Because we've had the hardness of our heart stripped away. We worship in the spirit. We boast in Christ. We put no confidence in the flesh. The love of God for His people is absolutely magnanimous, isn't it? It's a love that the songwriter says that we could fill the oceans with the ink. Now, nah, this is the wrong word order, but I'm just fixing the lyric for you. We could fill the oceans, sorry James, we could fill the oceans with the ink that it would take to write about the love of God.
and still never uncover the whole. The love of God. It will forever more endure. Your flesh is molding. Is molding. We don't put our confidence in it. Put it in Christ. Christ alone. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.